Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome to Something About, a podcast where we are currently covering death and other details. We are on chapter seven. Chapters one through six are all available on Hulu, hashtag not sponsored. Um, just going to give a spoiler warning now because I'll probably forget. I'm recording this a little late today. Um, I got news. I got a new car. I bought a white Jeep Wrangler Sahara. Um, I'm so excited. Um, I don't fully know how to drive it. That's like the one downside. It is a manual. Um, I did practice today and it went really good. We just, (laughs) we practiced from me turning the car on and starting it with like the clutch because I've never driven one before. And just shifting from first gear to second gear back to first gear and stopping. Um, I've already told my boyfriend, who is giving me the driving lessons, he was a bit apprehensive because he thought we would both get frustrated with each other. And he's not wrong, but I told him I am willing to learn. So, like, don't get frustrated with me. I'm going to ask the dumbest of questions. But again, I've never had to use my left foot driving, really. It just, like, chills. And now I have to. So I ask him questions like, do I need my foot on both? When I do this, do I need my foot on the brake? Do I not? And... I understand I'll pick it up eventually, but I'm just asking these silly questions because they they make sense to. But I I did pretty good today. It was bouncy as shit, but we also picked the world's worst parking lot to practice in because all the churches were full because, you know, it's Sunday. But I think it went really well. Um... It's a what? It's an all white Jeep. Like the hard top is also white. What also sold us was it came with a soft top. We weren't going to have to purchase one or the other. I'm assuming purchasing a soft top would have been cheaper than purchasing a hard top, but it came with both. Uh, There's no Bluetooth, so that's a little disappointing, but. Um, I have an auxiliary cord I can use. That's fine. No GPS, but my other car didn't have GPS, so whatever. If you do have suggestions for, like, a good car cell phone mount that I could use, because there's no good good spot to, like, put... I put one, like, I tried to buy one that clips into your vent, but it didn't work, so um, I've already returned it because... It was useless. I did buy an auxiliary cord that has, you know, the tradition, traditional auxiliary end, but then the opposite end is for the iPhone. So I know that will work because, duh. But I need some sort of mount to hold my phone. Not so much for using the auxiliary for, like, music or whatnot. That's whatever. It's more or less if I want to use GPS, I can, like, see where I'm going. I have one of those, like, cup ones from WeatherTech. But I'd still have to look down. And when you're driving a manual, you have a little bit more going on. So I'm thinking either one I can stick to the dashboard or possibly, and I saw one on the Zon, 
was you stick it in your cup holder, but it just raises it so you can still use your cup holder as a cup holder. But then it like telescopes up and you can put your phone in it. I'm thinking that one might be the best one because then you don't lose like cup holder space because that's also the worst. Um, I have a center console. I didn't have one before. That's pretty cool. Um, I drove a little Toyota Yaris, so there was no center console. It was just, like, my e-brake was there. There was a cup holder. And then, like, a bigger cup holder. And I know at one point in time you could purchase a center console. And I think that's where you would have stuck it in to have. But I didn't have one. I didn't feel the need to have one. I just drove with my right hand and, like, rested my left hand on, like, the window. Like, the armrest on the window there. But I am very excited. I have a thought that when you drive a Jeep, any Jeep, whether it be, like, we had a Jeep Liberty at one point. We had a Jeep um, Cherokee. I don't think they make Liberties anymore. I think it went from, like, a Liberty to Patriot to, like, a Compass. They don't make that style anymore. I think if you drive any sort of Jeep that isn't a Wrangler, in the back of your head, you want to drive a Jeep Wrangler. You want to own a Jeep Wrangler. And we've had a Jeep, and now I have a Jeep Wrangler. I went from a very tiny car to a very large car, but I didn't really have trunk space. I didn't have the back seat. So, and my car had lights lighting up that aren't lighting up anymore because we gave it away. Um, and to fix it probably would have cost as much as the car was worth. So I was able to trade my car in and then use that money that would have fixed it as a down payment. So like, yeah, I have a car payment, but, um, I'm very excited for it. My car insurance didn't really change. That's pretty great. Um, it went up a couple bucks, but I'm a very good driver. The car's older too. It's not brand new, so it wasn't going to be expensive, but I have a very good driving history so, like, it didn't go up an insane amount, which is very nice because um, that was another expense I was going to have to take into mind was a higher car insurance. There are a couple things my boyfriend needs to call the dealership about and bring up, but he knows cars. So, while I'll be driving his car, which I hate, he'll drive the Jeep. And I told him, if you're driving the Jeep, you're putting gas in the Jeep. And I will put gas in his car. Like, fair is fair. But it's good that he's driving it because he knows what does sound good and what doesn't sound good. Because he's like a car guy and has actually worked on cars. I know nothing. So it would just be like, what's that sound? I'd be like, what sound? And just turn my music out more. You know, we've all done it. So it's good that he can drive it because he'll know what it should sound like, what it should feel like. Um, he's like, you're going to stall the thing. It's going to happen. I mean, he stalled it a couple of times. He said it was like, it's the floor mats. I'm going to let him think it's the floor mats. I'm thinking it's him. But, you know, like, whatever. It's just it's really exciting. I'm so glad. I can't wait to drive with the top off. And Jeannie be in the back seat with her tits out. Like, it'll be great. I love it. I can't wait. We, I also wanted 
I mean, I wanted a Jeep Wrangler. Ultimately, I would have loved a Subaru Baja, but they don't make those anymore. And that's fucking depressing because I would have got one of those instead. They're so ugly, but I love them. And I would have got it in like an obnoxious yellow color. To me, when it comes to a car, the color is like last on my mind. I wasn't looking for a white Jeep. Um, I guess my top color would have been silver because silver doesn't show the dirt as easy as, say, a white or black car does. It, But it probably went silver and then like black and white or tied. Tan would have been cool, especially since it's Sahara edition. Um, but I would have taken any color. Like if we found a yellow one and it had everything we wanted, but it was yellow, I would have been like, okay. My boyfriend's like, I wouldn't have. And I told him that's great, but I'm making the car payments. So honestly, your opinion doesn't really matter when it comes to the color of the car. Again, I could give a shit about the pink color. I, Yeah, I'll be driving it, but I'm not like living in it. Like my room is not that shade of yellow. My room is yellow, but like a pale, a nice subdued yellow. Not that Jeep, like school bus looking yellow. And then I've had people ask me, what are you going to name her? First of all, cars, vehicles um, don't have vaginas or penises. So they're not gendered. Um, and I know gender is a like a subject or subjective. So like my car wasn't born with any sort of genitalia. So it's. The name is just a name, like the name doesn't matter. I did put out on both Instagrams. Also follow Instagram. It's something .about.podcast. Um, what I should name my Jeep. And at first I thought about Stay Puffed, the little marshmallow man from Ghostbusters, the first film. And my boyfriend's like, yeah, that would be great. But then I was talking to my friend Brian and he sent me this video from Five Below because they have ducks. And I inadvertently was collecting ducks before I realized it was a Jeep Wrangler thing. So like I can't wait to give out ducks in my Jeep Wrangler. I'm going to be one of those people. Um, he sent me one that had like Hello Kitty duckies and I was like, I need to get those for Lana. And he goes, Lana Del Wrangler. And I fucking died. That is an amazing name. For if I were to name my Jeep, that would be an amazing name. And I meant no Lana, my niece. And he was like, oh. And he vaguely remembered that I had mentioned it. But I don't expect him to remember. That is fine. It's not my child. It is my niece. We don't see each other a lot. It wouldn't come up in everyday conversation. So I put out a like um, a poll should it be Stay Puffed or Lana Del Wrangler? And it was literally split. It was 50-50. And then like Lana Del Wrangler won by like one vote on another poll. But it was split. So I'm still up shit's Creek. But like I guess the name could just be Sahara Day Wrangler because it is a Sahara Jeep Wrangler. So that might be its name. Also, it's a car. It's a Jeep. Like whatever. I inadvertently called my Yaris tiny car because it was a tiny car. It was a very small compact car. You could park it pretty much anywhere and it was great. I'd never named that because it was it was a Yaris, like whatever. 
So if I don't name it, I don't name it. And people can be like, well, what's its name? It's a fucking car. I don't care. I have more important things on my mind, like how to learn to drive the fucking thing. A name? No, thank you. But I'm sure something will come in time. And um, I just, I love it. It's so cute. I drove it today and I did pretty good. I wasn't amazing. We only focused on first and second gear. I told him my goal would be by the end of the week, drive to work. And I meant like drive to work on Saturday when time doesn't matter. I won't be late or whatnot. That is my goal. But he's having like a procedure done. So he might be high off his ass. So that might not happen. But you know, it's a goal. I'm not demanding it be done. Um, what else? That's pretty much it. So I say we just kind of like dive right in. So again, we are on chapter seven. It is titled Memorable. Um, this was a very weird episode and it was told from like two different POVs, yet it was the same POV, kind of. It was confusing. It probably would, again, help if you have watched a, a chapter seven. But it was really good, um, very insightful. It has unlocked things that we needed to know about Imogen's story. Um, and the one of the POVs is Imogen as Rufus, and it takes place 18 years prior. So around the time of Imogen's mother's death, we're going back to that time period. And it goes back and forth. I didn't write like they're in the present day. They're back in time. I just took notes. It was a way better episode than what happened in what was it like episode six? <laughs> episode six when I was sick and watched it the first time and had no idea what was happening. And then when I watched it again the second time, I was like, this shit is wild. But chapter seven was great. So let's just dive right in. We see Imogen waking up. And she gets up and she like groans and she looks around. She reaches for glasses. You can tell she's not on the ship. And then, you know, walks over and looks into a reflective surface like a teapot. And then she looks in the mirror and she realizes she is Rufus. And so we now have established Imogen is going to be walking in Rufus's shoes to figure out what he was missing from looking into her mother's case. Um, so Imogen's like, well, why are we here? We should be on my mother's case. And Rufus is like, you wanted to start from the beginning. This is the beginning. And, you know, again, she's groaning and stretching and she's like, what? And he's like, that's how you'll feel after a night of drinking, like, I forget what drinks he mentioned, but he drank like six cocktails and he sang really bad karaoke. So you're going to be hung over. And she's like, what does this have to do with anything? And Rufus tells her, you know, your memory, your memory amplifies. 
your memory diminishes, um, it's malleable, and ultimately your memory is a motherfucker. So he's pretty much just telling her, just go with it. I am telling you my memories and I want to see if you will figure something out that I've missed. Uh, Danny walks in and he just starts talking that, you know, Rufus is crazy for taking the Kira Scott murder. It's been six months since her murder. The cops have nothing to go with. It's like a dog with fleas. And they go on to talk about how Lawrence Collier is a billionaire, though. And Danny's like, I see what you're doing. And then Danny goes on to say, but if we don't give results, it's going to ruin our record. And again, Rufus is like, but Lawrence Collier has money, so it's fine. Like, he's he's definitely in it for the money, but if he also solves the case, that's also great, too. And they just, what it comes down to is she's going to walk through the case with him and they're going to go through everything, every little detail, regardless if it's minute or not. And they're just going to uncover what he possibly missed. And this is going to bring back memories for Imogen that she may have blocked out herself. And we are now at the Collier Mansion, Collier Family Mansion. And they are greeted by the wonderful Llewellyn. And Imogen, as Rufus, kind of goes off track and is asking him what he knows, who killed her mom. You know, doesn't it all matter? Like, why? And Llewellyn is just standing there not hearing her. Rufus is getting her back on track like you can ask all the questions you want but that this isn't a time machine to go back in time and ask we're replaying these days so Llewellyn welcomes him Um, we find out Imogen is the one that found Rufus because if you remember in the last episode she had used Google to look up that video of Rufus talking about the case with the Baroness and like the necklace. So Imogen has done her own research in finding Rufus. And we see a young Anna and Trip run by and he's like, we'll get back to them. And they tell him, you know, we can take you to my office and Rufus actually would like to go see the, the young girl, Imogen. She is in the playroom. And it's more um, of that same flashback we've seen over and over again. She's in the playroom. She's looking at the dollhouse. We find out, you know, that again, the dad is not in the picture. She would be too much for the grandmother to take care of. So the Colliers have, you know, taken her in because that's their daughter's best friend. They have the money. It's it's not going to be a detriment to them to take her in. And she's been suspended from school. She stole a rare book. Um, They think she's just acting out, rightfully so. Her mother was killed in front of her. Uh, They treat her like a daughter to them. And all their resources are at his disposal. 
again, we saw this scene in like the first and second episode and we've flashed through it throughout the whole series as we've gone. And Imogen looks over and she sees her younger self through the dollhouse as she's playing. And she decides to skip that part. And Rufus is like, wait, why are you skipping that? And Imogen says, well, I remember that. Like, I remember it from my side. So I don't I don't need to rehash it. You can tell slowly feelings are arising in her. And so now she wants to go on what's next. And Rufus is like, we interviewed everyone. We meet her grandma, Nora. She thanks him for, you know, taking on the case and hopefully helping finding her daughter's murder. Uh, We see Llewellyn. And all this is taking place in Rufus's office. So Llewellyn is worried. And he's like, we could have done this at our office. And, you know, he's kind of grossed out. He asks about, like, black mold. And Rufus mentions to Llewellyn, um, you find out more from people when they're outside of their comfort zone. So people are more likely to open up because they're not as comfortable. It's harder to hide things. Um, Llewellyn's like, well, you know, I'm an open book. I'll answer whatever it is you need. And he goes on to say that Kira was an angel. And you can kind of see the disgust on Imogen's face as Llewellyn is speaking so highly of her mother because she has a preconceived notion of Llewellyn. Uh, Nora and Nora and Catherine disagree. They they didn't think Kira was a bad person, but she was no angel. Um, Nora goes on to talk about how Kira was a crusader. And in high school, she put together a walkout and the walkout worked. Uh, you see Father Toby. And he says Kira had something special about her. She always volunteered at the soup kitchen. So you get an overall picture that Kira was a relatively good person. She had her faults. Who doesn't? But she was a good person. Um, We find out from uh, Lawrence that Kira had traveled to Shanghai with him. And you see Imogen asking about the sleeping arrangements. And he was like, what does that mean? Like, we had our own room. I I don't get what you're implying, sir. And Lawrence goes on to explain that there are two types of heterosexual men. There are those who want to sleep with all the women. And then there are the ones who just want the one woman. And he goes on to say, like, I love my wife. She's my one woman. I am that type of heterosexual. And I think that could be applied to heterosexual men, heterosexual women, um, queer people, you know, there are the people out there that want to sleep with everyone. And then there are people out there that want to find their person that could be applied to anyone. The more, you know, um, Imogen, then we're now kind of in the present day talking to Rufus. Imogen goes, you didn't ask about Yang Su. And Rufus is like, I had no reason to suspect then. Like, I didn't know about it then, so I would not have asked about it. And she's like, yeah, you're right, but this is dumb. And we find out that Kira didn't really date 
Um, she worked and she loved being a mom. Like those were her things. The lawyer didn't give, she didn't give the lawyer Llewellyn the time of day. She probably just looked at him and like, okay, Llewellyn, like they, they were colleagues. They both worked for the Colliers. Um, he did ask her out a few times, but then Rufus and, or Imogen as Rufus, you see kind of jumped down his throat asking him questions. And he goes on to say that like, I never filled my gas tank. I always had like my, the concierge there, take my BMW and put gas in it. I couldn't change a light bulb. What makes you think I built a car bomb? And he's not wrong. If you don't know how to put gas in your car or change a light bulb, I would think trying to find directions to build one of those would be awfully hard to understand. That was a question I did ask my boyfriend what side the gas tank was on in my car because, like, I told him if it's the opposite side it I had it on now, I didn't want it. Uh, they're both on the driver's side. And I know when you look on your dashboard and you look at your gas gas tank it has an arrow to tell you what side it's on I know but I've driven I drive two cars regularly and the gas tanks are on the opposite sides so I have to thoroughly think it through but the jeep takes regular gas so it might be a bigger tank and it might cost a little more but it's still regular price gas let's get back to it um it seemed that everybody loved her mom. And we find out from Danny that, you know, he looked into the baby daddy and he's out of the picture completely. He lives in California. His alibi checks out. So it wasn't her father. Um, he did find a date book and he went through it. There was nothing crazy in it. But they noticed a missing page. A page had been ripped out. So Imogen takes a pencil and lightly scribbles on the page that would have fallen behind it and scribbles just enough to see the indent that was left behind and what was written. And it said Opal Diner, 5 p.m. And that would have been on the dated page of February 12th. And they deducted that that was one month before her mother's murder. So now we see Rufus and Danny go to the diner to ask the waitress about that date in time. And the waitress is like, what's the date? And they're like, February 12th. And she goes, that's a month ago. Or, you know, that was months ago because about six months ago. That's ancient history. It's like, I'm sure in a diner, it's fast paced. It's going to be hard to remember what went on that day. But Danny notices the cook look away. And so Danny goes up and stops him because he looks like he's about to run. He looks a little suspect. And so they sit him down and Danny explains some people have, I didn't write down the fancy term he used. He goes on to explain face blindness that after a while, all the faces look the same. All the people look the same. It's hard to remember. Whereas Danny goes on to explain, he goes, I remember faces. If I see a face, I'm going to remember it. And 
you know, they show him a photo of Kira and he doesn't remember. But then uh, Rufus reads into him and he notices. He goes, you're a gambler. You bet on the Seahawks. And, you know, from what I've learned of gambling, you don't bet on the home team. That's your first mistake. And you thought we were your debt collectors. You thought we were coming to collect whatever it was you owed. And he goes on to explain. So here's the deal. You're going to tell us what we want or I'm going to find these debt collectors and I'm going to bring you to them because I don't care. And the cook goes on to explain their order, a tuna melt, disco fries, and extra gravy. Um, I don't like gravy, but that's whatever. So he, his memory, he know he recognizes them because that's a unique order. And he remembers that the woman left out the back and there was an argument and there was a girl there because he gave the girl a slice of pie. And we now flash to Imogen, Imogen, and she's got a look on her face of confusion. Like, I don't remember that. How does he remember that? And I don't. And it plays further and further into her head. She went with her mom on February 12th because she got picked up from school and she was supposed to have a piano lesson. But the piano teacher was sick. And we see him talking to a young Imogen. Well, Imogen talking to herself, the younger version. And this is the same day we've seen it before. I think it's in the second or third episode where she figures out his code book. And... Imogen goes on to say, like, I remember that day, but the diner part is is blurry in my mind. And she goes on to spiral in what if my mom knew Victor Sam's? And she's looking at Rufus. We're back in the present day. And Rufus looks at Imogen and tells her, I wish I had known about Victor Sam's sooner because I would have asked. I would have asked that question, but none of us knew. And it flashes forward to more than a decade later. So if we find out it was February 12th, 2005. So it's now 2015. And they're talk. He and Danny are talking about a new case, a plane, and missing people on it. And you know, it could lead to Victor Sam's. And then Llewellyn walks in, and he's like, "Of course, you showed back up. This is harassment. You know, who is Victor Sam's? We don't know. You are we paying blackmail to him? No, we're not." And then Rufus also asks, well, let us see the books. If you if you say you don't know who Victor Sam's is, let us see the books. Let us see, you know, all the paperwork, the paper trail. And Llewellyn then threatens Rufus, if you keep doing this, we're going to ruin your credibility more than you've already ruined it. And that's when Imogen realizes that Rufus never stopped looking into her mother's case. 
pretty much her mother's case was the one that got away and he was always going to look into it. Rufus didn't walk away from the case. Um, we go back to, and again, we've seen part of this scene where the colliers are kind of yelling at Rufus. Nora is also there. And they're like, you've had months to work on this case. All you have is a name, that name being Victor Sam's, you know, and he wants to talk to Imogen more. She's got, you know, a gift of in picking up on things around her. Just let me talk to her. And they're like, no, she's having nightmares. She can't sleep. Um, they're trying to protect her. But then he is also, Rufus is also trying to protect her. And they pretty much just fired him. But they paid him and they fired him and said, like, just leave. You're not helping. And we're looking out for Imogen. We want what's best for her. And this is, they assumed what was best for her. And she looks at present day Rufus and she's like, I want to remember. Because I still have those nightmares. They never went away. I need to figure this out so we now go back to february 12th 2005 her mom picks her up and she goes with her to the opal diner and you see imogen in the background and she's dressed very similar to young imogen she's kind of mirroring her and she's watching the scene play out and her mom gets up and says like stay here i'm gonna go meet with my friend it'll be real quick and, you know, Imogen goes to follows her and she stops at the diner door. She's met with resistance and the resistance is herself. And she opens the door and all she sees is herself. And, you know, she's blaming Rufus. Rufus is blaming her, but not. He's telling her, you need to remember, I can only do so much. You are stopping yourself from looking deep into the crevices of your brain to remember this day. And she wants to remember, but she needs to let him in. And again, she's she doesn't want to, but she does. And so now we're back into the diner and she approaches her younger self reading a book about the Renaissance and she closes the book and she's looking at herself and she asks her, you know, who's on the other side and young Imogen is like, what? And she's like, who's on the other side, the other side of the door. And young Imogen is like, do you want to know? And she's like, yes, I do. And she was like, okay. Will follow me. So Imogen is now chasing herself. She runs out of the diner and she's now at the Collier house. And she runs into the house and clocks are ticking. And as she goes through various rooms and goes by various rooms, she sees Llewellyn and Catherine bickering. She sees Anna and Tripp watching an episode of The Simpsons. And she approaches the dollhouse and she looks into the dollhouse 
And as she's looking into the dollhouse, she's looking at a room that looks very similar to the room she's in. And she sees a young Imogen running out of that room. So older Imogen turns around and chases her out of that room. And again, it's all very confusing. Um, we see her kind of run by a drunk Llewellyn and he's singing Elton John's. That's why they call it the blues. I would sing it, but I would sound drunk. And then she follows Imogen, young Imogen, into a bedroom. And we see young Imogen getting into a chest. And as this is happening, we see Trip and Anna being read a book to, I'm assuming, by the nanny. Uh, she follows her into the chest and then she pops out of the back of the van and she sees her mom on a payphone and we hear her mom say she shouldn't have trusted that woman. We don't know who the woman is. And then, we, you know, she meets young Imogen under a table with like a tablecloth. And she asks herself, who did you see? And herself replies, what are you talking about? She goes, you saw someone. She goes, no, I didn't. And she goes, yes, you did. She goes, oh, I can't tell you. I, I made a promise. I keep promises. And Imogen tells her, she goes, you break them eventually. And so young Imogen runs away and Imogen follows her yet again. And she follows her all the way in the rain to the car. And she knows what day it is. It's the day her mother blows up in the car. And she doesn't want to do it. Because it, it's a hard day. She literally watched her mom die. But she knows she has to. So she gets in the car with her mom. And we have seen this scene play over again. She stole like a little box from Anna. Because Anna doesn't know what it does. And she won't miss it. Um, again, she's reliving the hardest day of her life. And whenever she gets to that moment, she clams up. Rufus is now joining her in this memory. He's sitting in the back seat as the car is slowly imploding. And he asks her, what is she afraid of? And she tells him, you know, what? What if I saw him? What if I saw Victor Sam's and I blocked it out and hid it from everyone? And Imogen also continues to question, what if it's my fault? What if all this death is my fault because I saw who did this and this person being Victor Sam's and at one point in time, I could have solved this case. So... Rufus isn't blaming her, but she is blaming herself. And he is trying to tell her, you can blame yourself, but it's not your fault. And Rufus asks her, well, what can they do about that? And she takes a deep breath and asks about the diner. And she remembers. So she asks her mom about the woman she was fighting with. And I'm sorry she made she made you cry. And we now see what we see the pinnacle scene of her mother talking to the woman. 
That woman is Alexandria. Yes, the governor of Washington, Alexandria. She's talking to her about a case. Alexandria is telling her, you have no case. And Kira is like, but there are five dead employees. And Alexandria is like, yes, but there are no witnesses. And Kira is like, I have a witness. She's not here, but I can get her here. I have a witness. And Alexandria is like, you want me to bring this to a judge? You want me to bring this to my boss? I will get laughed at. And she's not about that because she's in the early stages of her career. And Kira is telling her, but Collier Mills has to pay. They have to pay for these people's death. And we find out her friend has lost her husband to this mold that has happened. And... She's telling her mom this, like, yeah, your friend whose husband died with, with the mold, and I'm sorry that that woman made you cry. And we are back in the car. And her mother is looking at her, telling her, you need to forget this happened. You need to bury this deep in your head. You don't know a thing. You didn't notice the people. You just don't remember it. And that's what Imogen did. She buried it so deep in her mind. She kept that promise to her mother. She didn't do anything wrong, but keep that promise to her mother. And we see Imogen slowly come out of this memory realization with Rufus. And as we have that, we see you know, the images of the car blowing up. We see images of Kira and Alexandria talking um, while the camera is slowly panning from the back of a woman's head to the side of her face, right to the front. We see this woman's face. It's Celia. Celia Go. The Celia that just signed to own 51% of Collier Mills. Imogen gets up walks out of Rufus's room. Rufus is following her because he realizes Imogen is remembering. We see Imogen walking all the way to the dining room, up to the go table. And she looks at Celia and tells her, my mom was a whistleblower and she was going to take down the Collier Mill family and you were her whistleblower and you were her witness. And the look on Cecilia's face is like, you figured it out. You remember because she has drugged. I don't know if she drugged Celia's memory or not, but I have a feeling Celia was waiting for Imogen to come to her because they have both suffered a trauma from the Collier family. And Imogen was a young child when this happened and probably didn't want to bring up the trauma. So we know the Colliers are behind her mother's murder. Now we need to find out who caused those initial deaths that the Colliers then, I'm assuming, again, blackmail paid off, killed Imogen's mom. The confusion is becoming less so. So I have a feeling in episode eight, we're going to find out more from Cecilia. She's going to take Celia aside and they're going to chat about it. She's going to apologize about her mom and Imogen's going to apologize about her husband and it's Victor Sam's and we're going to get 
some knowledge we did not have before. So I have a feeling it is following very similar to the only murders in the building layout, whereas in the eighth episode, we find out more. We may see who Victor Sams is. Um, I have a feeling Victor Sams is like Lawrence Collier's split personality, maybe. I don't know. It was a very good episode. Confusing because it did um, go back and forth between like present day and then young Imogen and current Imogen. And I apologize if it was very confusing. It was very confusing taking notes. I didn't have that many notes. I have like three pages of notes because it was a very flashbacky episode of scenes we have seen before, but with more explanation. But I want to thank you for coming on that confusing journey with me. Um, If you could rate, like, and review wherever it is you stream podcasts. If you could share it with your friends, uh, give us a follow on Instagram at something.about.podcast. And that's really all for now. I hope you all have just like a wonderful day. Bye.